Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, where we hear the stories of information security professionals. This podcast explores different angles, out-of-the-box ideas, and the human element of cybersecurity. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP so we can continue to bring on amazing guests. You can watch videos of the interviews at www.cybercloudpodcast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. Uh, this is your host, Francesco, and today we had the absolute pleasure to have Alisa, Alisa Miller, on the podcast. The show is yours. Tell us about who you are, what you've been doing, why you're here, why you know me, why you're crazy enough to come on the podcast. <laughs> why crazy enough to come on the podcast? Why I know Frank. God, uh, we run into each other at a few different conferences, uh, certainly on Twitter and stuff. But uh, yeah, so a little bit about me. Um, again, my name is Alyssa Miller. And um, boy, what, where do we want to begin? I mean, I've been in security um, and really focused on application security for you know, the last 15 years. And prior to that, I mean, I was a developer, which is, I guess when I ended up moving from development to security is why application security in particular was a really good focus area for me. Um, I've worked in a extremely large financial services or what today we would call a fintech company. Um, but I've also worked in various consulting roles um, not just doing pen testing. Um, I mean, I've been a hacker all my life, and so that that's definitely a part of what I do. But really, uh, working on AppSec programs and even larger overall security programs, helping organizations, uh, you know, kind of build out a, a strategic approach to how they handle security across their environment. And so that's led me to my, my current state of affairs. I am an application security advocate for a company called Sneak. And uh, really, a lot of what I do day to day, both because now it's my job, but even prior to that, is getting out and interacting with the community, uh, speaking at conferences. That's where you and I first met in yeah. um, getting out and just you know, interacting through social media and whatnot. And, Really just very much about sharing ideas, hearing what other people think, sharing what I think, challenging each other, coming up with cool Teasing ideas. Each other. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we you and I have done that. We we've pushed each other a little bit to say, hey, I I don't think this is quite right. You missed this part or whatever. And that's to me, it's as it should be. Um, but that's that's, that's, a, that's a nice that's a nice part of the community challenge of teasing each other. But to become better, it's not the it's not the ugly part of Twitter sec or or, or infosec on Twitter uh, where we get slacked or there is a lot of negativity, especially of recent. I don't want to comment on the recent wave of mouse thing or the other thing. I don't know if you were involved in the latest flare of negativity, but uh, I like that part of the community to tease each other. Yeah, I think become better. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's what's great about the security community. It's what I love about it, right? Like, yeah, there there are some elements that we wish weren't there. There's a lot of the gatekeeping and things that can be pretty frustrating. But in general, it's, you know, there's a lot of just really great people in security. We're all there for kind of the similar reasons. Like, we just want to see things get better. We want to, we want to improve the world. Um, In fact, it's funny, Jason Street just today tweeted something about, you know, our, our inherent goal is to call out things when they're broken. And that's what we all like to do. And so, so often we see people in the community so willing to help each other and you know help each other learn, help each other grow, and a lot of times working together on different discoveries and things. And that's I I just think it's a great part of what we do. And that, that's what the podcast originally was created with. Uh, I think we started on the, on the back of the Mentoring Monday hashtag with Tanya and uh, now converted to a full-blown podcast, but it's effective to reach as many people as possible, share the worst stories, share the nice the nice stories, get people excited about InfoSec, and also share some trick and tweets and 
a new thing. So this is a way to extend the mentoring for me. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I mean, it's so important too, right? Like, um, yeah, just empowering people and growing people. We, we talk, there's so much talk out there right now about this, um, this talent shortage and it's, there's, I think it's, it, there's, think it's bullshit. Well, <laughs> so I, let's go it this way. Yeah. There is, there is, otherwise we won't, we won't get paid how much we get paid sometimes. But, um, I think it's demystifying that talent I, shortage. Yeah. I mean, I think it exists, but I think the reasons it exists are different than what people believe. Right. I mean, there's a lot of, the talk track is that there's just not enough people in security. Um, you know, there's not enough highly skilled people in security. But when you really dig into it, and I know you and I have had some conversations about this. When you dig into it, what you see is uh, there's, I mean, the job descriptions sometimes are so bad. And companies. Especially the entry level. The entry, oh, I, I've, been, I've been on a forever battle of remove CISP from the entry level position is insane. Like you can make recommendation of something like yeah, a certification, a security related cert. But yeah, exactly. certification. I mean, I, I was I was a trainer, so I, I believe in the power of certification. We actually just done um, a, uh, a webinar with the Cloud Security Alliance on how do you get skilled in the cloud and stuff like that, and all the certification. But I'm. They impress, certification impress. Uh, I have tons of certification, but because I was a trainer, so I had to be, get certified to train something more stuff. But certification is not anything. It's, so we should get away from that. I mean, I don't mind companies that look for it as like maybe a, a nice to have, you know, one of those. It's not required to get this job, but we'd prefer to see it. Because the one thing I do like about certifications is they do show that commitment to growing yourself, right? A lot of these certifications, ex with some exceptions, yeah. a lot of them, they're, they're not easy to get. If we think about like OSCP or we think about any of the GX, um, you know, any of these certs, um, even the they security plus, which is where I kind of point newbies to, it, they're not easy. You have to go through a level of self-education and study and so forth. And I think, you know, you can use it as a way to demonstrate that, but it, it can't be the end all be all. This is what you have to have. I, I, I'd rather use it for consolidation. So I'd rather have a person experiencing something and then demonstrate it with certification yeah. rather than I take the certification. Now let's start talking about it. Even though it's a controversial argument, so that I don't yeah. think there is one size that fits all. That, but it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be that's it. It shouldn't oh, be it. That's that's the real issue at the root of all this. Is there's a very much one size fits all approach to hiring a lot of times, and unfortunately, at you know at least here in the U.S., a lot of it's driven by our equal or equal employment opportunity commission regulations. Mm -hmm. Because there's a lot of things you have to do to be in compliance to demonstrate that you're not discriminating. You know, things like, you know, you have to have very static job descriptions. They have to be worded in specific ways. There's things that you cannot, you know, you just simply can't, you can't say. I mean, I hate that it comes to that, that tactical level, but that's the reality. It's just certain things in a job description you shouldn't be saying and you can't say. And so you, you it's a challenge sometimes to figure out how do we show that we're being very objective and non-discriminatory in our approach without getting so cookie cutter that we're missing out on great candidates who maybe don't check all these boxes, but you know what? We just know from talking to them and seeing the other work that they've done, they would be an amazing fit and we need to bring them in. And so that's one of the big issues I've seen in, in talking with recruiters in the research I've been doing um, around some work that I'm doing on the, the content creation side, um, there's just, it, it's a struggle. It's community. So my, my suggestion to them and to that industry is community driven. So I get, uh, we, did, we did the event the other day with uh, two techies, me and, and another colleague and two recruiters. So we had the two aspects of it, but getting recruiters more involved in the community, letting them understand the benefit, the various challenges, the various things, and then enabling them to network with the new folks so that you know they have a fast track to recruitment or they actually understand who they are and the size of the candidate that they are. No, that, and that's, that's what we need more of, right? It's 
um, you know, at the end of the day, when it comes down to it, how do you get hired as a, a you know, into that entry level position? So much of it is about networking and even, yeah, and even beyond, even beyond being an, you know, a, a entry level, just uh, in general, number of people that are looking for jobs right now, it's, it's all about who do you know, who might be able to find a position you didn't know about that's available and help get you settled. Yeah, and actually, funny enough, I was discussing exactly that with uh, Philip in the previous podcast. And talking about podcasts, you you do you you have your own one, so yeah. How did how did it start? So um, I wouldn't say it's my own; it's mine and well, the employees, right? I mean, we yes. So the three of us co-host a podcast called The Uncommon Journey, and really, how it started, um, we did a podcast together for Chloe's employer, and. You know, it was really just the fact of, I mean, the three of us were friends. We had met through Twitter and whatever. And, um, you know, we were talking and we did this podcast and we're like, wow, that went really well. And we started talking. And you know, one of the things that we had talked about on the podcast was just how each one of us had this really unique way or this really unique story of hmm. how we got into security, right? It, it wasn't like we went to school for computer science and then this and that and the other thing. Traditional like, path. <laughs> right, I mean, you know, Philip was a bouncer in a bar and had to wrestle a pair, you know. <laughs> Wally was a humanitarian. I was going to school for pre-med. You know, I mean, it's... Pre-med? No, yeah. tell me. Oh, God, tell yeah, me I was going to be a doctor. Um, but yeah, three that was actually ago. my dream, my original dream. Before I went into InfoSec, I was I was supposed to be a doctor. All my family, yeah. uh, half of my family is doctor, actually. I mean, they were pushing me. <laughs> that's where I was headed. There's nobody in my family that's a doctor. My mom worked in hospitals, but not as a doctor or a nurse. She she was in the pharmacy. But um, but yeah, I you know it was. Three three semesters of college chemistry showed me pretty quick that being a doctor probably wasn't for me. Uh, so yeah, I had to pivot, and I thank God, you know, fortunate for me that all happened around the dot com era. So when things were booming back in the late nineties, and so I got a full time job as a programmer. I didn't even have a degree. You know, it was like I just just high. <laughs> I, I knew how to program. I had you know I had a I bought my first computer when I was 12. Like, you know, back then people didn't have computers in your home. I got a job. I saved up money. I bought a computer and I taught myself Amazing. how to program at 12 years old. Well, um, well, well, I at 12 years old. <laughs> um, so, you know, but I never saw it being a job until I had to make this pivot. And then it was like, well, I already know how to program. By that point, I was not, I was, I had taught myself basic originally. And by that point now I was like programming and, Visual C++ and uh, ASP. And it was like, I know how to program. I could just, yeah, I, I do can do that. I'll, I'll, I'll switch over to computer science degree. And then I found this job and it just, yeah, I, you know, fortunate for me. I, I just happened to be in the right place at the right time and, and took it. And to be fair, I mean, I took good advantage of what was presented to me. I had an opportunity. I took it, um, you know, so some luck some just my own initiative right. yeah together it, it you know and it all kind of rolled from there and i ended up in security and here i am how did you end up what was you what was the thing that made you pivot again in, into security what was the thing that excited you about security it was a total accident <laughs> like seriously <laughs> <That's always laughs> i was so um so I told you I was working for this large fintech company. That was the job I got. You know, yeah. I, I started as a, a programmer and that was the title was programmer. And that was basically the junior entry level. And I worked there. I was a programmer for about a decade, not quite. Um, and so, of course, you know, through a decade of being a programmer, being a team lead on a development team. Um, and, you know, we were doing we didn't know it. But back then, we were, already, we were already, well, no, no, we were doing DevOps. Like, Before it was cool. us developers, we were doing all the operational support of this application because we were supporting the, the home banking Life. and, you know, online banking platforms, which nobody at that point knew how to deal. Large financial tech company, nobody even really okay, understood no, no. Windows NT. 
And that's what we were running on. So it was like, we had to do all our own operational support. We were on call 24 seven. We had a rotation, you know, all that. But any event, I digress. Um, but in doing all that, we worked a lot with the security teams. Mm-hmm. And apparently I just, you know, this one manager who I had worked with on a number of different things, she was, she was pretty established in her security organization. And um, I apparently made a good impression on her because she approached me one day and she asked if I wanted to join their, what was effectively their pen test team. Um, and I even said to her, what's that? From a dev to directly jumping into pen oh, testing. Yeah. From dev to pen testing. And I looked at her, I'm like, I, I, I'm interested, but I don't know anything about that. And she, <laughs> I will never forget the next words out of her mouth. It was, you're smart. You'll figure it out. That's why I'm asking you. That's what okay. should be the that should be the, 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 the advertisement on another job. You, if you're smart, you're gonna figure it out. <laughs> but that's just it, and that's still today. Like I wish I could hire people that way, but like all the stuff we talked about before, it doesn't work. But yeah, so I jumped in. I joined that team. It turns out that team wasn't just pen testing. It was also responsible for vulnerability management across the organization. I mean, and I accelerated pretty quick. Um, within a couple of years, I was managing that team. And then, uh, you know, we, uh, and so, you know, here I am at, in my very early 30s, and I'm managing the entire vulnerability management program for a Fortune 500 fintech company. I mean, we had 35,000 employees, over 1,000 applications, and I'm at 32 years old or something. <laughs> Hey, Francesco here. A very quick message from our sponsor and then we return back. This podcast is brought to you by the generosity of NSC42 Limited, your cybersecurity partner. Cybersecurity is complex and different for every organization, and you need the best tailored service to make sure your customer's data is safe and sound so you can focus on what's important, focusing on your clients and bringing the best and safest experience. NSC42 Limited can help you during your cloud transformation, cybersecurity assessment for your compliance checklist on premise and on the cloud. Want to know more? Visit www.nsc42.co.uk to get your free quote. I found myself exactly in the same position and I was like, oh, F. I know. I look back at it now. I think, how crazy! Who the heck yeah. would even think to hire someone like who I was back then now to like run that show? I mean, that, that's that's bonkers. I mean, and I had an amazing team. I'm not, you know, but it's great because you, you bring you bring new ideas because I've, I've seen a lot of fintech and they they are stuck in the loop of traditional thinking, traditional idea. And whenever somebody comes in from an external, smash completely that thing because it's not ingrained that it's it's due to failure but yeah. they they unblock that process with this methodology i think it's common in traditional banking i mean i've seen it in a lot of big banks here that i've worked in a lot of them so yeah especially the bigger banks for sure and and they're to varying degrees i mean i've worked with some of the biggest ones in the, on the globe and some of them are great and some of them are actually leading the way um you know i mean and from a security maturity program perspective, a lot of those financial companies are actually at the forefront. I mean, we, we know that, but that's because they've been some targeted. Of them. Some right. of them. Right. Some of them. Yeah. The smaller ones, especially still kind of skirt underneath the radar. But, you know, a lot of the big ones, you think about like the Chase, the more, um, you know, JP Morgan Chase, uh, Bank of America, America. Uh, Credit Suisse, you know, a lot of these really massive, massive global uh, BNP Paribas is another one. You know, all of these really big companies, these banks, they've been targeted. And so they've, mm-hmm. they've, they've been more aware of their threat model than a lot of other organizations and other industries. And so even though they've wrapped up themselves in so many controls, they block the, the innovation, they block any kind yeah. of movement. And, that, and that's well, the, the flip side of it, right? I mean, yeah. So what it, I've seen in those things is like, it's so hard to get anything done because you need to go through hoops and loops and everything is, is, uh, risk and compliance, not no no enough uh, sensitivity, especially in the traditional one where you have more governance and less uh, DevOps or less engineering mindset. That's what tends to I see that uh, tends to yeah. happen. 
Well, I think they're challenged too, right? I mean, you look at financial services in particular, and they're so heavily regulated. It doesn't matter mm. what country you're in, right? I mean, everything in our world kind of centers around the financial services arena. And you know, our financial systems mean everything. If they collapse, yeah. entire countries collapse. And so in any country, relative to other industries in that country, they're always the most heavily regulated. And you know, certainly here in the U.S., um, that that's in Europe huge. as well. In Europe, it's huge. In the U.K., it's huge. Um, yeah, and like I said, even in you know countries that have some of the worst corruption in the world, still the financial services side has the most in terms of at least you know official some level of regulation. Whether it actually happens or not, we can question yeah. that all day long. But um, there are those challenges. But yeah, it's still they're the ones that have the attention because if the if the, if the economy falters, the, the a lot of those countries just collapse instantly. Like I mean, right. but that, that's, that's, I was having a conversation with an economist the other day, and I said, let let let's bank fail, let's uh, libertarianism to the maximum, let's not save anyone, let's just have you know, chaos will organize itself. And I say, that's absolutely insane. But it's, a, it's an interesting point because right now we see, well, from one end, we see regulation being more strict, especially in this period, we've seen loan being given in a much more careful way because of the previous regulation. So yeah. hopefully we'll learn. Hopefully we're not going to be a chain reaction of, of bad things. But uh, on the other end, I ended up most of the day when I was... Uh, dealing with one of my clients in a big bank, dealing with regulators throughout. So I had regulators down in Indonesia that says, no cloud. And regulator down in Canada that says, you must use this code scanner technology up to the name. Yeah. So you had this broad spectrum. I mean, we had 64 regulators, any kind of regulation on earth. So it was insane. Oh, and, and that's the challenge, right? I mean, and this is the this is the... I won't even call it the problem. It's the balancing act of regulations, right? Mm -hmm. So take PCI. PCI is a great example. You know, thinking it's very technology security. focused. Early on, PCI was wide open. It was very open their interpretation. You know, and I'm going back like 2006 when it first yeah, yeah, I remember had, that. <laughs> had, was given teeth and like they were actually going to start fining people. And you know, it was very broad, and it was worded broad on purpose. Because you know they didn't want they were getting pushback from the banks and such that you know you you can't dictate technologies to us you need to leave it more open and whatever. Well, the problem was you had certain I. And that's the problem with ISO. Bad actors, ISO twenty. But you had like you had different QSAs who were involved in that. Who the thing I will remember most, and this was the catchphrase that people used to get around anything was the intent of the requirement. And that was PCI's mistake. They said that as long as you meet the intent of this requirement, but then they didn't tell us what the intent was. And it was up to the QSA to figure that out. And so- but It's all about opinion, but it depends. Right. So they've evolved that over time, right? They've, they've, in subsequent versions, they released very specific guidance on what that meant and how you qualified for these different things. They started- getting a little more granular in terms of technology, but they still kept it Correct. open. So it's better. Um, and I appreciate PCI for that because I, will, I used to do a lot of uh, ISO implementation cool. and it's completely flimsy because it depends on your scope and it depends on your policy and you can twist the audit and it doesn't give you anything. So compliance right. for compliance sake. Well, we I know that get... compliance is not security, but at yeah. least we want compliance to guide security towards one thing. And PCI led the way for that revolution, if you will. And then, and then you have the opposite, right? So like NIST and ISO, and I don't know how often you, you do stuff in the US that you run into Hello. NIST, but you know, NIST started off with like 800-53, which was like super granular. You had hundreds of specific <laughs> controls. controls. <laughs> and now they've come out with the, the NIST the CSM, cybersecurity framework, which is wonderful <laughs> because it's wide open. It's, you need to do these things. Here's some pretty detailed prescriptive advice, but you can decide how to adopt it. And it was more of a maturity model. You want to keep moving yeah. up in maturity. And that's what we need in any of this is it's, it, it's, it shouldn't be so much about you have to check off all these boxes. It should be, what are you doing to show that you're continually improving? 
because so that's, that's the kind the, of conversation that's the kind of conversation we're having with the regulator and some of them yeah. are open and they learn from past mistake or things like that well how often do you hear it in our security industry oh if you're if you're you know pci does, compliance does not mean you're secure absolutely that's the problem everybody treats pci as i just got to tick these boxes and i'm done mm -hmm. if PCI were more focused on a maturity model and your goals weren't to check the boxes, but your goals were to show continual improvement year over year. That's what would be making people more secure. Now, I get that you have to have a but certain you, level of minimum requirement. That, that's but important. Then, but, but then you leave it to the auditors and the auditors say it's going to become a nightmare because they love their job and they love the strict check and uh and audit company love that because they don't need to hire super experts in cyber to actually check cyber stuff and which that's the good and the bad and right. i've seen i've seen the worst case scenario in uh, uh the cyber security insurances where they have absolutely zero clue about what how to evaluate about cyber and the initial wave of cyber security insurance were completely blank so but there's an interesting flip side to that, right? I agree mm -hmm. with you to a large degree. There is a lack of expertise in security assessment and understanding that. But Jeremiah Grossman and I had this in a, a tweet conversation, got probably eight months ago now. And he brought up a really good point. And that is the fact that security, or uh, excuse me, the insurance industry above and beyond any other industry, understands risk management. Correct. And when they start defining criteria for what controls you have in place, the reality is they're doing it from a risk management perspective. And they know what, here's what you got to have to create the least amount of risk for us, which is something that a lot of businesses never really get to. Right? But like you know the, what they wrapped up? The, the, the other cheeky trick is they uh, they leverage on the fact that a lot of the regulation ends up in fine and they exclude fine from the payout. Oh, right. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it, the, the cyber insurance thing is uh, crap Flimsy. in a lot of ways. I mean, we, there's there's still open cases out there where, you know, because a president made some offhand comment about a certain cyber attack being an act of war, suddenly, you know, the, the cyber insurance doesn't want to cover it. I missed it. I missed it. You know what I'm talking <laughs> about. I don't even have to, I'm sure most people do. And it, it, it's frustrating because that's not as it should be. That is not, that is not what the intent of cyber insurance should be. You talk about a case where cyber insurance should indeed be paying out. That's what it exists for. And the fact that that particular insurance organization is fighting it. Um, you know, that's that's the dark side of insurance that we all hate, right? Well, we mean, shouldn't we shouldn't rely on insurance to actually say we're safe because we have insurance. Insurance is a way to mitigate. In in term of if we take it from a pure risk perspective, insurance is just a way to mitigate to an external party and to offload some of that cost of right. the impact to an external party. But I shouldn't say Oh, we're insured. We're it, fine. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's the financial risk. It takes care of the financial risk of a breach. That is all part, it is. A very small part of it, I would say. Right. Fair. And so, but that, and this is, so this, this steers into something else that I, I find really particularly interesting. Um, you know, I think universally, I think people in security understand, maybe not universally. I shouldn't say that. Um, I think more and more people are understanding that fear, uncertainty, and doubt, FUD, is not a way to sell your your cybersecurity initiatives, right? And and I've been preaching on this. A lot of people are. But the thing is, the next step that we've got to get away from is using cybersecurity initiatives as the way to say, we're going to protect against these financial risks. You got to take it a step beyond that because when you say, hey, I'm going to use cybersecurity to protect us from the financial risk of being breached. Well, the problem with that is we also in cybersecurity say it's not when, it's not if you're going to get breached, it's when. So we're saying, mm -hmm. hey, we're going to protect you from this, but we can't protect you from this universally 
So what is but, what is the security it, leader left to do? They say, oh, cyber insurance will take care of my financial <laughs> risk there. So I'll just yeah. get cybersecurity insurance. I don't need to worry about your initiatives now because I got that insurance. We need to be clearer about the other things that our cybersecurity programs do for the organization outside of protecting from that financial risk because insurance will take care of the financial risk. We need to look at the other aspects. How do we enable the business? How do we create faster times to market? Things like that. And they well, are actually, things that we do with security. One good part is I was having a conversation with one CISO friend of mine, and they said by doing continuous incidents tests, they started getting involved with a lot of other part of the organization, CIO and CFO, and they start providing very, very detailed information like the number of deployments or, uh, I don't know, the structure of an organization, the architecture, the elements similar to that to other parts of the organization. So it's cyber providing insight and, informa and accurate information to other parts of the organization that is the additional... A lot of people say, okay, cyber is a cost. We should get away from cyber. It's purely a cost. Cyber is one element of a cost, but also could provide a benefit in terms of the data that we, because we need accurate data. We need absolutely accurate data to do risk, proper risk calculation. You, you need the accurate data. You need to be able to provide the quantitative risk analysis that's required to run any in business. In the ideal world. <laughs> right, yeah, I mean, you know. But the, the other thing is, and this is where I think we still forget, and this is why I've been really trying to harp on with people, especially when I talk to executive level folks, it's like, there are technological improvements and advantages of implementing security that, that affect the business in a positive way. You can open up an entirely new business line through a cybersecurity initiative. You can make new business hmm. functions, new capabilities possible simply because you launched this particular cybersecurity initiative. Case in point, here's a, a really simplistic one. You launch uh, a new CASB product in your cloud environment. Well, you suddenly got this really cool granular control of access into all of your cloud resources. That opens up the ability now to start using those cloud resources in a customer-facing way that you couldn't do before because you didn't have that granular capability. So now it's suddenly, well, what can we do with that? I have these really cool cloud resources massive cloud buckets and, and everything else full of data. How do I use that? How does CASB or you know, some of the other access control things that I might do within my cloud environment suddenly open up a door to maybe providing a new service where people can access that data through a subscription service? Yeah, any API, any endpoint. You know, yeah, you, you enable that. And that's where when you start making those cases, now they're not thinking of security as this cost that's going to protect me from financial risk. Oh, security is something that actually makes my business run better. And that's it, the key. It requires an engineering mindset. I've seen it. I've seen it happen when security and engineering works together because it's one spark in the collaboration of the other and say, look, we could do this way. And security say, we could protect it this way. Not say no, but say, how can we protect? How can we enable the business to actually do that? Or how can we create new service? So it's the development that works with the security, but it requires an engineering mindset. And it, it also requires good communication with the business. It requires both mindsets, right? You got to have the engineering side, but you also got to have that business side. You need to be Correct. able to see both. And that's what makes a good CISO. Honestly, we've, we've seen CISOs swing Biso. both ways, right? What's that? What do you think about BISO? Business CISO. You know, I, I think it shouldn't be necessary is what I think. And that was actually where I was going with this is, a good CISO should have both capabilities. They should be very technical or not very technical, but they should be able to speak and understand the technical side, but they need to have the business context as well. And we've seen that ebb and flow. We've seen mm -hmm. initially, you know, CISO, first of all, that role is still very young in terms of business, the business environment overall. But initially they were very technical. And what that did was that alienated them from the rest of the C-suite. You know, they were kind of looked at as junior executives. They were always they were always reporting to another executive. You know, yeah. they were maybe a couple steps down from the CEO in reporting structure. And they didn't get the audience in front of the board and things like that. And they were excluded from a lot of conversation. Now, 
what we're seeing is we're seeing that pendulum swing the other way, and we're seeing a real focus on you know CISOs who are coming in with very very little technical experience, but a stack of business experience. So that's good and bad. It, it's good because we need that business context. We need them to be understood. We need it understood that they've got that capability. But then they can't talk technical. Right. So right. I've seen exactly that happening with Bezo or channel opener or business-oriented people that talks just GRC and they don't talk technical. So anything, application security program, completely clueless. Vulnerability mm-hmm. management program, completely clueless unless we simplify to the core, for example, on some of the element and just give them, this is the risk core of your application and that's it. But it creates that you need three or four layers between the CISO and actually the engineering function to actually say, we abstract everything and ultimately we're going to give you a number. But that I can almost do that with the business person. And, and that's what I was going to say. Then you kind of question, why do I have a CISO? And, and this is where the, the CISO is really, to me, like the great translator. Right. Correct. And it's the same thing as a CTO. A CTO is there to translate between business and what we're doing through technology. technology. And over, you know, they've existed a lot longer, and we've seen that the CTO, even the CIO, you know, those those roles have kind of started to fill that gap of how do we translate from business, you know, initiatives and and revenue opportunities and and business growth, and translate that to what we're doing in the technology side and support it. We need to do the same with security. How does security translate? How do these technical facets translate into supporting the business from a revenue and a, a business growth perspective? And that- maybe, maybe we should encourage more, if you want, the security architect person or, or role is kind of dying in DevSecOps or it's kind of getting integrated in a hybrid. We should encourage more security architect to get towards the CISO part because I think it, it's the kind of role that has that business understanding because it works on project, it works on understanding the business context and trying to enable the business, the good security architect, and also has that very technical knowledge. So it's, it's a path. Well, I've seen a lot of CISO becoming from a manager perspective all the way up to CISO just because they have, for example, the SOC experience or the operational experience. There may be security architect don't, but they're missing one or the other aspect. Yeah. So but it, it's, it's kind of it, a hit and miss. And, and that's because it's hard, right? It, it is a unique personality. Who is that? You know, there's a lot of technical people in those various roles, architectural type roles, who think they want to be a CISO. And then they get to that role and they find out what it's really about, or they get a few levels below it and they see what it's actually about and suddenly realize that that's, that's not where they want to be. They don't want to be dealing with that business context. So finding somebody who really enjoyed the technical, but also really enjoys the business side of it and understands and the that, that piece. Comes, what, what's that? The politics that comes yeah, with the business. Well the, well, the politics, just but just the language and the priorities, just understanding that, okay, as a CISO, you're not sitting there worrying about what firewall technology is the best one that, that's going to you know, do these feature sets for you. That's not what you're thinking about on a day-to-day basis. Now, it's great that you understood that at one time. It's going to get away from you as you transition into more of a business role. And that's actually okay. Like, that's what needs to happen. That's why you hire all those really incredible engineers. What you need to be able to do is take those concepts, have them explain the technical aspects, be able to understand it, and now elevate that and connect that with your business initiatives, your business goals, the revenue drivers, all the things that the rest of the C-suite is thinking about. He's talking about, yeah. Money so, and people, money and people, money and people. That's it. Yeah. But they're hard I mean, people it, to find. It, 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 it's it, new I concept. think it's impossible people to find. It, I think you just need to grow in it, like a CTO grows in it, because CTOs... CTOs are technologies that then grows into understanding the business, like CIO. CIO is kind of a little bit different maybe because they are okay. operational people, so they have already that deep involvement in the understanding and then they grow. But the Swiss seat is, is, is I, was, I was actually having this conversation with the pretend virtual CISO. You can't just 
step into a new role, a, a role like that. You need to have the experience that backs you up because the C-suite is characterized as business experience. And you oh, can only, you, you can't just study business experience. You have to grow inside a business. You have to have your business experience back yeah. you up. Oh yeah, for sure. And that's, but see, that's the challenge, right? So you look at, I want my CISO to be technical, but I want them to have this business experience. How do you even identify the person, that technical person who says they want to be that level of management? How do you really confirm that they're the ones that are going to be the good fit? I think and that's why I think we're failing right now. I think it's, it's a gamble. It, it's, I think it is we a need gamble. to gamble more. And unfortunately, it's too much of a guessing game right now. We need to get better at it. There are people I know who would make incredible CISOs, who are at you know high levels of technical knowledge, who want to get into those roles, but you know they're held back because it's not believed that they can learn the business side or that they can do that or that they want to or whatever. And it's like, oh, wait, you don't understand. You really need to talk to this person because they actually get it. And then I've seen the flip side, right? I've seen people elevated who are very technical, who, you know, were all, you know, charging away, hard charging to go up the ladder and they really wanted to be CISOs. And there was no chance that they were ever going to fit because they, they were the ones that were still like, they weren't interested in that business side and they badmouthed that business side. And it wasn't what they wanted to be doing, which is totally legitimate. Yeah. But that's not the person you want for your CISO. No, it needs, it needs to play ball with the rest of the executive. It needs to be one team. Otherwise, it's just going to fail. Yeah, that attitude of dumb users and all the, the executives, they just don't understand. <clears throat> that attitude has to disappear. Your job as a CISO is education don't as make much them as understand. anything. You're yeah. educating everybody. They're incredibly intelligent people in that C-suite. That's why they're there. Yeah. Your job is to educate them on the things that aren't their primary priority every day and to bring you and up to risk. Uh, my, one of my failures as a CISO was uh, keep on talking technical and mm -hmm. not steering the conversation in money and people, money and people. And I failed in that. So because I am extremely technical and I came from an extremely technical background, and I absolutely failed massively uh, dealing with that, dealing with the expectation, you know, managing people. And that's where I learned the most. Where actually what CISO means is actually dealing with people, yeah. dealing with executive and their priorities and finding that right balance with the technical that is technical is almost secondary. I, do, I don't want to do, don't want to say secondary. You need to have the broad knowledge, but it's the business aspect that is key. Yeah, it's not your priority. It's not your top priority. Your top priority is the emotional intelligence to be able to communicate with people. Correct. And sure. understand exactly what are they worried about at that particular moment to get the business running. Yep. But right now, it's like, screw everything. It's just letting people work from remote and how to secure the endpoint. And it's not the right time to talk about zero trust or new initiative. <laughs> screw that. It's just letting the business run. So I'm actually going to argue that a little bit. Please. I think I'll, I'll right now argue. is a great time to be talking about certain security initiatives. There is, <laughs> first of all, you're right. There is a very tactical thing that has to be all accomplished right. or had to be accomplished. Because at this point, if you haven't accomplished it, you're probably in real trouble. There is that enablement side. For a lot of organizations, though, this was a time that they were able to demonstrate, hey, all that money we spend on this security infrastructure is paying off because, look, you know, our VPN endpoint that was 25% utilized is suddenly 90% utilized and it's not falling over. We did the right things. But think about this scenario and this, I, I'm going to borrow this from a, 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 uh, an executive I was just talking to the other day. Um, they have this situation right now where everybody, they, they were very focused on-prem. They had most of the people were in the offices. And one of the, the initiatives that they had had on the table for years was network segmentation. It was being driven by out of their security team. They wanted to get segmented networking in place. They could never do it because how do you take everybody off the enterprise network and do that? Or it would take the, you know, it was this long four-year migration that was going to have to happen. They had these huge migration plans that you know no one would ever accept because it was so long term, no one could really even wrap their head around it. Suddenly they've got an empty network. Everybody's remote. Everybody is limited to very specific portions of the network that they're using. 
gee, suddenly it's really easy for us to take massive swaths of this offline for a day or two and just plow through all of that at once. And they but it's risky. It is extremely risky. But it's, well, it's, it's not when you have that ability to just have complete control of that network. And if something goes wrong, it's not going to freak somebody out because they're mm. not using it anyway. But it's and that's what they did. As you said. They, they shrunk it, their four-year timeline to six months. And they got it. They got it approved. They had a plan for how people would continue working from home, even if things opened up. They weren't going to bring people back to the office because they wanted to complete this. Management was behind it all the way up to the board level because, hey, yeah, we can. We we're doing it now. We might as well keep doing it if it means that we can, you know, get this initiative in place. And they adopted it, and it's happening. And so I think there is room for that in a lot of cases where you can leverage the current situation to attack certain things that otherwise you may not have. Now, you're probably not going to roll out like the latest and greatest version of some new endpoint software. Your, yeah. your users will hate you forever. And that would probably be disastrous. So you have to pick and choose which initiatives you're going to go after. Um, and budgets, of course, are an issue right now, too. A lot of people have had their budgets shrink. But the intelligent ones are saying, hey, but people aren't traveling either. So we have extra budgets there. You know, can we, you know, how can, how can we pull from that potentially? In some cases that works, some cases it doesn't. Um, but, you know, it, so there, there are opportunities. You just, you do have to be measured though. I, I, agree. I, I agree and disagree. It's, it's extremely risky. So right now it just, you can put your name out and you can gain to actually finish an initiative, but the, the amount of doom that you could gain, get if an initiative fails, I mean, it is extremely risky. So I've seen, I work with a lot of banks, so my general attitude tend to be risk averse. <laughs> Fair. I mean, I'm a gambler, I'm a gambler for that. You know. So yeah, my mindset, yeah, my mindset is traditionally risk averse. So in this kind of situation, I say you would be nuts about doing anything like that. But I guess it's a risk, it's a risk assessment. So do I gain this? Do I save four years into six months? So is it? Yeah, I mean, it's always going to be somewhat of a gamble, right? I mean, so a a little metaphor for you, Um, you know, so. Obviously, first of all, if it's a business that's struggling to even make ends meet right now because of the situation, no, you're probably not going to invest in any security initiatives right now. Yeah, You're going to do the tactical stuff you got to get done to keep the lights on, the doors open, that's it. But if you're in banking, if you're in a tech company that is actually still you know, making profit and, and growing potentially, because there are those companies that are still growing, growing a lot slower, but they're growing. Yeah. You know, you might have that opportunity to do something. My metaphor is something I just did in my personal life. Right now, I'm fortunate enough that I am employed and, you know, I'm, I'm okay. Obviously, there's that risk that that could end tomorrow. But I looked at the situation of, for me, it was, hey, I needed a new vehicle. My car was 10 years old, right? No, 13 years old. Um, it, you know, over 220,000 miles on it, it it needed to be replaced. So I, you know, there's one school of thought, the conservative side is, hey, don't buy a car right now, because you're gonna, you don't have a monthly payment, you're starting up a monthly payment. If something happens, you know, this could impact you. But the flip side is the used car market right now is heavily depressed. Prices are way down. And so the other voice in my head says, hey, I'm looking at that I can save a whole lot of money right now and take the risk that, you know, if something happened to my employment or whatever, that could kind of screw me up, Mm. but I could get a lot more vehicle and, and, and make that purchase now and benefit from that, which is what I ended up doing. I mean, if you you follow me on Twitter, you probably saw the picture. I mean, I I went out and I bought a new vehicle. And And you read the manual. I should say, yes, and I read the manual. (laughs) I shouldn't say I bought a new, I bought a used vehicle. You know, I avoided avoided that depreciation hit. And I just, I bought a used vehicle a couple years old so that I could take advantage of where the prices were, knowing that in the long run, that would actually save me money because I'm not going to have to make repairs on the current vehicle that I had. 
and I wasn't going to pay a whole lot more for a used vehicle after things recovered. That's so, a clever way to do it, but it's, it's again a risk evaluation or risk assessment. Oh, yeah, exactly. And that's what every business has to do. But that's why I just I don't want to blanket say that it's not the time to take on initiatives. There are definitely situations and organizations who can absolutely benefit from using this time right now and pivoting on, all right, we're not doing X, Y, and Z that we had planned to do. What can we do right now to not just respond to this, but actually take advantage of the situation? How do we actually turn this situation that we're in to our, you know, to our benefit and, and do something that we hadn't planned on and make it better? Yeah, no, it's an interesting view. Conservative, so, risk averse versus... Maybe a little machine. more aggressive. No, no, really, yeah, but, progressive and, and risk, calculated okay. risk assessment. Right, well, I, you I said like it's, all, it's all a risk evaluation in the end. I mean, it's how much risk was I willing to take on in purchasing that car? Um, okay. Yeah. No? So. No, I agree. Unfortunately, we run almost about time. And I just realized I had... Uh, I have um, Chloe after. <laughs> I have you, and I have Philip before. <laughs> well, there you go. You've got the entire so, Uncommon Journey podcast showing up on your podcast. So. so next next time we need to do it all together. <laughs> you know, we we should have you on ours. Yeah, fair um, enough. I mean, sure. the easiest way to make that happen. So <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to those guys. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> All right, Alisa, it's been an absolute pleasure. But before I let you go, just give us, um, give up me and the audience uh, a positive message about cybersecurity. 10 seconds of positive message about cyber. Community is amazing. Use it to your advantage. If you're finding that person who wants to gatekeep or hold you back, they don't matter. Find someone else. There's a lot more people out there who want to be helpful and help you succeed. So find them. Great. And hashtag Mentoring Monday, because we, we tend to pair up mentors and mentee with that. Or actually Cyber Mentoring Monday, because a sneaky company took over the Mentoring Monday hashtag to actually run advertisement. That's why we change it to Cyber Mentoring Monday now. Uh, and roll up with that. <laughs> All right. Not, anyway. On that note. <laughs> on that note, on that bombshell, I'd like to thank everybody for listening. And I'd like to thank Alisa for coming on stage uh, or on virtual stage or on virtual yeah. podcast. I really appreciate you having me on. It's been wonderful. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. And I'll see you soon. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, consider leaving us a review or sponsoring us on Patreon. It helps us bring on amazing guests and keep the podcast alive and free. Consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP and watch other episodes at www.cybercloudpodcast.com. Cyber